Amen. A little preacher there coming up soon. It's great to see everyone tonight. Hope you're doing well. If you missed last week, I embarked on a challenge to you to change your mind because Romans 12.2 says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. I challenge you to actually rethink who you think God is. That we know that God's most treasured identity that he has is not king, lord, or master. It's actually Abba, which in Hebrew means daddy. We talked about how our tendency is to worship who we created in our mind, and we've given God these different personas in which determines how we interact with him. We either worship God as king, we worship him as master, we worship him as lord, but we miss that God's most treasured identity that he has, that he wants in us, is actually daddy. And these identities, whether it's judge or master or king, they never break character. So if you worship God as a king, he'll always relate to you as a king. If you worship God as a master, he'll relate to you as master. And they'll never break character. You'll never find a king giving a peasant the secrets of the kingdom. But then we see God as daddy. You know that the daddy's heart is to give him the world. And we worship God through our sonship. And who you believe God to be actually changes everything. And when you connect to God as daddy, everything about your theology, everything about your relationship with God suddenly transforms. And most importantly, is the identity of daddy is the only identity that God can take where you are accepted purely based on who you are, not what you do. Every other identity that you can give God is going to demand a performance. It's going to demand an outcome. It's going to demand a verdict on you. And so if you're not operating with a relationship with a daddy-God relationship, you're actually operating outside of God's design because it says that the spirit in you cries, Abba, Father. The spirit that God gave you has a name for God, and it's not master, it's not king, it's not Lord, it's actually daddy. And we relate to God outside the identity of daddy. We're actually operating outside of his design for how he wants us to relate to him. That's the spirit he placed in us. It interfaces to him in a specific way. And that language of that spirit is not fear. It's not intimidation. It's not reverence. It's not obedience. It's actually daddy. And so I hope that you're starting to change your mind for who God is. Because when you change your mind about who God is, your relationship with him changes. And so last week, I felt great. It's like, man, this is amazing. Like, great response. Like, people are like, man, this is amazing. Changing the way that I think about God. And I have like all these amazing revelations that I have as being a father of two kids, one four-year-old, one two-year-old. And I have these like amazing, just like daddy God revelation stories that will help like just share with you about how I think God relates to us. Like, this is going to be amazing. I cannot wait to share next week until the Holy Spirit showed me that the word daddy for many of you, is the most painful word in existence. Here I am, I'm like, I got a great family, I have a great father myself, I'm sharing, Daddy God, it's amazing, we all get it, and the Holy Spirit's like, not everyone got it. Because you have a different idea who God is, you start at a base level that's completely different than everybody else. 
And the Holy Spirit said to me, he's like, yeah, you can share all the powerful revelations about a good father because you actually had a good father. And you actually won the lottery when it came to having good fathers. But what about every other heart in the audience that winces with pain at the word daddy? What about them? When you say God is a good father, that is a foreign language to different people in this audience. And so all of my revelations about daddy God and and sharing God from the perspective of a good father got shattered for this one single truth. Everything got hung up on this one point. Tonight's message has one point only, one takeaway, that's it. And I have to put it into first person because it's so clear. The, the more I try to like work in my stories with my kids and things, like I just kept on having this one thing come back. And it comes from God. I believe that he is saying this to you tonight is that I am not like your earthly father. Beginning, middle, and end of message tonight. I think the one thing that God wants to share with you tonight in this and in, in changing who we think about God, before we get into all the fun things maybe later now at the time, is that he's saying, I am not like your earthly father. And so we talked about the different identities last week. King, master, judge, boss, 911 operator, awkward relative. All these different personas that God can take in our life. We missed one of the most important ones, which is the identity that God would take on the identity of your earthly father. We can have God as king, we can have God as master, and we can project these identities, we can create these identities of who God is, but the one we missed actually was the one about your own father. But the truth is, for many of us, the identity that we project upon God is the identity of our own dad. Now some of you, that's a great association. There's nothing wrong with that, that's great. But for many of you, dad is one of the most painful influences you've ever had in your life. And the word dad or daddy instantly brings up a connotation, an image. It brings up emotions, maybe brings up experiences. And for many, that's not a positive association. And so the revelations I had for you prepared are completely meaningless if the word daddy instantly creates an association with your earthly father. And trying to share the concept of a good father makes no sense to those who've only known a bad father. The word daddy is, for me, liberating, but for other people it's painful. It, it, they have, it's a foreign language. It's kind of like saying good father is kind of like saying like a nice terrorist. It's kind of like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so the Holy Spirit is like, how on earth can you share about daddy God never leaving or forsaking you when there are people who've had their earthly daddy abandon them? How on earth can you share about daddy God who gives good gifts when there are people whose earthly father missed every single one of their birthdays? How could you share about a daddy God who is your provider when there's people in here who have their earthly father who left them hungry and without a home? How can you share about Daddy God being the comforter when there's people who have an earthly father who's never there when they were hurt? How could I share about a Daddy God who accepts you for who you are when there are people who have an earthly father that made you earn his approval? How could I share about a Daddy God who's your protector when many of you have had an earthly father who caused you harm? How can I share about a daddy God who's always with you 
when you had maybe an earthly father who you haven't heard for months or maybe even years? How could I share about a daddy God that you can trust with all your heart, but that wouldn't make sense because your own earthly father betrayed you? How can I share about a daddy God who thinks you're valuable when your earthly father never made you a priority? I have lots of these. <laughs> I mean, I can, go, I can go on forever. I literally have like five more, but I feel like I'm beleaguering the point. <laughs> Here's the thing. No matter what the promise I give for you from daddy God, it makes no difference if your earthly father broke every one of his promises. This connection between who your earthly father is and the failures of maybe his life determine what you're going to believe about your heavenly father. For many of you, you've learned actually what it's like to be without an earthly father. So it never occurred to you that you even needed a heavenly father. The notion of a good father doesn't even make sense because you never had a good father. Why would you necessarily need one now? You've made it this long why would you need to make a change? And a lot of people's lives, they actually declare that fathers always fail. That's the truth. That's the theology that their life writes. It says that a father is not good. A father actually is capricious and vengeful. A father abandons me. A father doesn't provide for me. A father always fails. And I see this correlation between our earthly fathers and what we believe about our heavenly father. Could it be that you have such a low expectation of God because you have such a low expectation of your earthly father. You know the pain that only a father can inflict, and so intimacy with God is too risky of a value proposition. If you've had a damaging relationship with an earthly father, it's too risky to cultivate a heavenly father relationship because you know how deep those wounds go. And so this trouble in connecting with God, sometimes we have trouble connecting with God for who he is, and one of the reasons is that is that because when you try to connect with God, all you can come to mind with is actually the picture of your earthly father. Why is it that so many people have the same exact dysfunctions with their relationship with God as they have with their earthly father? Here's a truth for you. Is the relational insecurities with your earthly father will manifest with your heavenly father. The relational insecurities you have with your earthly father will manifest in your relationship with your heavenly father. See, your earthly father relationship was supposed to be a shadow of your heavenly father relationship. But that breaks down once your earthly father stops acting like the heavenly father and starts behaving like the other father, the father of lies, doesn't it? The problem for many of us is that in that pattern, when our earthly father breaks down from being the shadow of the example of the good father, suddenly we start treating God like we treat our earthly father because that's all that we know. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been accused of saying something you never said? Have you ever taken responsibility or had responsibility fall upon you for something you never did? It's the most infuriating feeling in the world. To have words you didn't say attributed to you, to have pain that you didn't cause attributed to you, to have responsibility that you had no ownership of be attributed to you. 
If you've ever felt that feeling, you actually know what it's like to be God in your life. Why is that? It's because we take our life experiences and we project them upon God as the author of our pain, as the shadow of our earthly father. And when we have a relationship with our earthly father that causes us pain, it instantly projects the image of what our heavenly father is like. And no wonder we have such dysfunction. No wonder we can't connect to God because when we connect to God, we are connecting with that broken image of our earthly father. And so we hold God responsible for that because we treat God the same way as our earthly father. Are you with me? Now, if that's our pain, if that's our pain in our earthly father relationship, you as a child, you actually have one response. You have one arrow in the quiver. You have one opportunity. You have one response, not one opportunity. You have one response, one weapon to respond with. And that's to withhold love. Your single protest against a bad earthly father is to withhold love. But remember, we treat God in the same way as we treat our earthly father. And when your wounds of your earthly father get in the way of your relationship with your heavenly father, you are making God pay the price of your father's sins. And in this way, we punish God. We make God pay for the sins that he never caused or is to blame for. It's worthy asking ourselves, when you think of God, when you think of your relationship with him, is there any resemblance that you have with your earthly father? Now, sometimes, again, many, like possibly many of you, that's a good thing. But a lot of people, unfortunately, that is not a good thing. The single source for the greatest wounds in their life actually come from their earthly father. And they have this block because every single time they connect, they are re-experiencing their pain, but just through a different filter. And so we can't allow God to pay for the sins of our earthly father because you know what? In the Bible, God says, the children shall not pay for the sins of their fathers. But somehow we've got it backwards with God. We make God pay for the sins of our father. Now, what does all this mean? It means this very simple truth. If you did not have a good father, you had a challenging relationship, or you do have a challenging relationship with an earthly father, then the greatest obstacle you're going to have to encountering relationship with God will be moving past the pain of your earthly father. If you have a challenging relationship, if you have a broken relationship with an earthly father, your greatest challenge in developing healthy relationship with God is actually moving past the pain from your earthly father. Now, people who've had pain in their relationships with the earthly father, they always want to know why. They want to know, like, why me? Why did this happen? Let me tell you. Is that fathers are strategic in the kingdom. You need to know this. There's actually a reason why you have a broken relationship set with your father. It's not by accident. It's actually by design because the father entity, the father identity is so strategic in the kingdom because a good dad reveals a good father in heaven. A good father reveals a good father in heaven. And so Satan wants to come against every father. So there's no examples of a good father in heaven. 
In other words, Satan has a special mission against fathers. If you have a broken relationship with your dad, sure, he has responsibility. I'm not trying to remove responsibility from his decisions, but you need to know that he had a target on his back. Satan wants fathers to fail, period. And don't confuse Satan's attack. Satan seeks to inspire sin and disobedience in fathers, but Satan is actually not seeking the sin or the failure itself. He's actually seeking a legacy that is derived from the sin. Let me explain. Satan's going to come against fathers. He's going to come against them to try and inspire sin and disobedience. But the sin and disobedience is not the object of the attack. The object of the attack is to create a legacy within the sin that carries on beyond the failure, that does something very specific. The legacy of a father's sin is that his children no longer trust his character. Satan is seeking not only the sin, but the legacy that persists after the sin in order that the children may no longer trust the character of the dad. Why does he do that? What does this mean? It means this, is that if Satan can ruin your image of an earthly father, the chances are pretty high that he can ruin the image of your heavenly father. Now it's starting to make sense. Fathers are strategic in the kingdom. Good fathers really reveal a good father in heaven. And if Satan can poison what you believe about an earthly father, he can have a hand in toxic poisoning of your heavenly father, what you believe about him. And so the legacy of Satan's influence is not sin or failure. The legacy is how it damages your view of what you believe about God. See, Satan knows that he can't ruin your salvation you know that's secure, right? But he can ruin your intimacy with God. He can ruin your relationship with God. And when we understand this, we understand that Satan's primary objective is not the destruction of fathers, but to influence the perception about fathers. Satan's primary objective is not necessarily just the destruction of fathers, but to influence the perception about fathers. If you have a broken relationship with your father, you need to know that he did have a target on his back. You need to know that he is set up to have an attack from the enemy upon his life. And your father, if he failed, if he had a compromise, if he caused you harm, if he had sin enter his life, if he had something that caused dramatic destruction, pain in your life. You need to know that he had no idea that that failure was actually sabotaging your relationship with God when he was failing. He thinks it's limited to him, but what Satan had a plan for is actually not only that it's hurting you, but it's hurting what you think about him. Do you have a father that's failed big time? I got news for you. Satan was not thinking of your father when he attacked him. Satan was thinking about you when he attacked your father. Satan was not thinking about your father when he attacked your father. 
See, you think that Satan had your father in mind when he was attacking him, but you're wrong. Satan actually had you in mind when he was attacking your father. Here's something that like blew my mind on this. I don't know like how this like comes onto my computer screen. This is crazy. When we understand that Satan's attempt is to influence and poison the perception of fathers, when we understand that fathers are strategic in the kingdom and Satan wants to bring them down in order to cause a legacy of distrust with fathers, when we understand that and we understand that our fathers had no idea that their failure is poisoning your relationship with God, when we understand all of that, we now understand that your very first spiritual attack that you ever had was the one that came against your father. Not the one that came against you. The very first spiritual attack you ever were affected by was not the one that you battled against directly, but was the one that your father battled against. And maybe this is the very first time you've ever considered such a thought. Maybe it's the first time you've ever considered that the very first attack you experienced was actually your father having an attack upon him. And to your dad, it was just sin. It was just failure. But to you, it was broken identity. It was a stumbling block. It was a wall. And when fathers, and when Satan attacks fathers, he's actually attacking the children. Are you with me? When Satan attacks fathers, the father is the victim initially, but the goal, the object, is the children. Satan wants to cause destruction, but more importantly, he wants the legacy of failure to produce a damaged view of fathers, and more specifically, a heavenly father. And Satan's entire goal is to mess up your perception of earthly fathers so you never connect with the heavenly father. I know this is heavy. I'm aware of that. Are you with me? Now, how does that poisoning, how does that poisoning of your perception of fathers, why is that significant? Why is that so dangerous? Is this, is that a lie that remains unchallenged becomes truth. A lie that remains unchallenged becomes truth. Now, Sean Lawrence added to this, that first little blurb is from Christ's life. The second part, like, just blows my mind is that a lie accepted defends itself. Just going to drop this here. (laughs) What Satan can speak to you through your pain about your father plants lies that, if unchallenged, become truth. If you accept those lies, those lies then begin to defend themselves against other versions of the truth. If you don't root out the lies of what you believe about Daddy God, you will never be able to connect to God as you were designed to connect to Him. Again, remember, like, we're supposed to be talking about Daddy God, all the fun stuff. But yet you won't even be able to do that. You won't be able to connect unless you break through the design of Satan to see to it that he uses your pain to exploit what you believe about God. My greatest goal in life is that I would be daddy to my two kids in such a way that somewhat resembles daddy God. 
So you think I'm like, we're not just parents. Like, I don't just care for my kids. I'm creating and shaping their theology every day. The greatest gift I can actually give my kids is not a home and provision and food and all those different things. Like, the greatest gift I'm giving to my kids is actually I'm, I'm shaping their theology for who God is. I want to be the greatest dad on earth so that when I tell my kids, your daddy in heaven is way better than me, and they'll be like, no way. My daughter has a word for it. She's like, like 100? It's like, yeah, like 100, 100. She's like, whoa, you know. I want that perception. I want her to know at the base root that, that her daddy was a good daddy and, and finished the goal, but at the same time that I'm shaping the theology that she would have, that when I say, your heavenly father is a good daddy, she's like, I know what that sounds like. I know what that feels like. I know what that means because I've witnessed it. Church for me starts at home. I'm shaping my kids' theological view. And so every, and these kids are still, you know, like we operate on the, like this level, but at a, a smaller level, it's, it's crazy the privilege that we are entrusted to shape and form kids' minds. If you want to change the world, be a good parent. Legitimately. Last night I had like a 45-minute conversation with my four-year-old girl about Jesus living in her heart. And she's like, but when I drink water, doesn't it get wet? I was like, he can handle it. <laughs> she's got like the craziest things. And she's got a lot of challenging theological questions that I'm trying to like stumble through. Here's the reference point. I get to share about Daddy God in the same context that I share about daddy. Say, so you know how daddy does this? You know how daddy does this? Well, imagine that, but even better. Like, she's starting to come in, like, the idea of heaven, and she's like, and Jesus gives you presents forever and ever and ever. It's like, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. We're going to take her to Disneyland in November, and, like, I cannot wait to see that experience. But we're creating theology we're shaping our kids' minds. And a good daddy reveals the kingdom. That's what's awesome. Like, I can't wait to share with you these, these things because I believe they reveal the kingdom. But if you have a force field that the enemy has put up about what you believe about God to begin with, it's not going to get through. We cannot allow the sins of your earthly father, if he failed you, to poison your future because that's the goal of the enemy. Now, you might be thinking well, whatever to you, because you had a good father. I did have a good father. I'm not ashamed to say that. Sometimes, like, I want, like, a tougher testimony to, like, have a more, like, you know, from rags to riches kind of, like, transformation. And it's, like, such a, a lame thing. I, like, I should be thankful. Like, I actually had a good dad. Not just a good dad, a great dad. So it's easy for me to preach a sermon about tough earthly fathers, right? You're like, oh, thanks. That's really nice of you. So I might not get it, but you know who does get it? God. I'm like, really? Really? I bet I'm going to share something that you've never considered as truth. It's been there in the Bible this entire time. You ready? Jesus had an absentee father. I'm not talking about earthly father, or heavenly father, earthly father. Jesus had a missing father as well. And we don't know why. Let me point a couple things out to you. The last time Joseph is mentioned is when Jesus is 12 and he's found in the temple teaching. 
last mention of Joseph in the Bible. That's it. When Jesus had the wedding ceremony, like Jewish weddings, everyone's there. It's kind of like Armenian weddings, I think. It's like there's everyone who's related ever together here. Like, no Joseph at the Cana wedding. When Jesus entered his ministry, performed his first miracle, mom was there, dad wasn't. Did you notice that? Probably not. When Jesus came into his identity, when Jesus fulfilled his calling, who he was, the person that was absent was his father. Jesus' own earthly father never saw the realization of Jesus' own dreams and destiny. Think you're alone? You're not alone. More proof at the in Jesus' worst, most painful, desperate moment on the cross, you know who wasn't there? Jesus' dad. Mary was there, but Joseph wasn't. We have no record of where Joseph went. Nothing. It's crazy. And the final proof that, that Joseph, Jesus' father, is like nowhere to be seen, possibly dead, we don't know, is that Jewish customs require the father to take the dead body after the cross. There's a Joseph of Arimathea, a different Joseph, not Jesus' biological dad. We know without a doubt Jesus was fatherless for a good portion of his life. That should change what we think completely about how Jesus can relate to you about your father. This mind-blowing revelation is like amazing. But yet he did not allow the failures of his earthly father to determine what he believed and thought about his heavenly father. What do you do if your earthly fathers failed you? Well, you do exactly what Jesus did. Even though his earthly father failed him, Jesus was still able to cry out, Abba, Daddy God, to his heavenly father. And Jesus knew that although his earthly father failed him, his heavenly father wouldn't fail him. And Jesus was, not, was able to not let his failings completely interfere with his relationship with the heavenly father. It's important to know that no matter what happened with your earthly father, just because your earthly father never did does not mean your heavenly father never will. He's infinitely better. He's infinitely more good. So maybe for you tonight, the, the response is just this, is that the light bulb comes on. It's just, God is not my earthly father. And it's just the revelation there. Maybe for some of you, some of you need to do some business tonight with the Lord. And actually maybe deal with some unforgiveness in your heart. Now before you're like, I'm not coordinating any meeting with my father. Like before you go to that part, I'm not suggesting that. There's this misconception of Christians that think that forgiveness requires two parties and a meeting. There's Christians who think that in order for you to forgive one person that they need to feel bad about what you did or what they did to you. Or they need to repent. I was talking to somebody like, I can't forgive them because they have not repented yet. It's like, that's not how it works. You know that, right? Forgiveness begins and ends with you. You have the power and the authority to forgive. It does not require a meeting. It does not require that they feel sorry. It does not even require that they even agree with what they did to you. Your response is to forgive. 
It's not even about them. It's actually about you, and it's about you because your relationship with God's actually at stake with unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe you can't connect with the Father because you're too busy having unforgiveness for your earthly father. I don't know. Just put it out there. Unforgiveness towards your earthly father. I'm going to end with this. Unforgiveness towards your earthly father is the foothold that the enemy requires in order to lie to you about your heavenly father. I know a lot of people who've got really, really messed up relationships with their earthly dad and who have amazing, vibrant relationships with their heavenly father. Many are in this room. The only way they were ever able to accomplish that was to root out that foothold that the enemy wants to take. If you harbor unforgiveness towards your earthly father, the enemy will take safe harbor in that position to lie to you about your heavenly father. And he'll put you on the treadmill of never being good enough, never being strong enough, never being great enough. Could it be that on the other side of your unforgiveness actually is the unlocking of your relationship with Jesus? Your unlocking of the relationship with Daddy God. I love you guys. Eric's going to come up now. What is that? In order to lie to you about me. I don't have the perfect uh, story about an earthly father, but I can tell you that whatever your story is with your father, God can do a powerful work of restoration and redemption. So powerful. I usually have this big gaudy ring. I ran out of the house tonight and I forgot it. It's an actual gold nugget. It was my dad. My dad was redneck as they come. They had like one of these six foot pictures from New Mexico and it had lights built into the picture of the mountains. Um, he always, like he apologized to me, he bought me furniture. Uh, suitcases that were like a dull green and he apologized because they were so boring and I was like oh thank God because they could have been red or bright blue or you know and he would have thought he was giving me the world my gold nugget ring has 12 diamonds in it and people go is that real because it looks like it came out of a bubblegum machine I'm like yeah it's actually real I think people think I'm rich when I wear it I'm not financially rich, but I wear it because God continues. My dad died last year on Easter, and um, I preached his funeral, and then I did his graveside service. And God continues through wearing that ring to work out forgiveness inside me. There are things that my dad did and said, it's way too late for him to take care of. And I don't think he would have, even if he were alive, because he wasn't aware of a lot of the things that happened. But God's been showing me how good he is. He's so different. I have sons and daughters, and sometimes I'm a pretty awful dad myself. God's so much better than me. So I just encourage you tonight, if you're here, and that really resonated with you, and that sermon, the enemy loves to like stir up your emotions 
and take you into a victim mode. And I know this because I did this for years. And so the more that somebody like Eric would preach, the more inside myself I'd kind of cave in in my inner heart and just go, yeah, I really did. And I would relate to everything. And by the time he was done, I was like, yeah, I really sucked. And God has taught me that whenever that my father was not perfect, God has taught me that when I get the truth and it starts to resonate, and it's like, yeah, that is actually how my relationship was with my father. God has powerful things that will set you free. So if you'll stand, and if our prayer team could come up, we would love to pray for you tonight. If there are things just in your heart that got stirred up, we don't always know all the answers, but we do know the one who does. So we would love to pray for you. Thanks so much for coming tonight. Uh, you may need friends more than you need prayer, and that's cool because we like to make friends. We do that in the back. We pray up at the front. Uh, we have as soon as we talk at the front. So we just encourage you, stay, get what you need, friends or prayer. And we'll see you next Thursday night.